want to tell you a story about a man whose name was Yeshua. Yeshua lived in about the time of Jesus, in about the same region as Jesus, but he was a nobody. Nobody would ever remember Yeshua. Yeshua is someone that we might refer to as a con man, a swindler, a broker perhaps, but he was also a bit of a zealot. He didn't like Rome at all. In fact, he hated the Roman Empire. It's because Rome had taken something from him. Perhaps his livelihood, maybe a loved one, future opportunities, horrendous taxing that sent him bankrupt. In Yeshua's eyes, Rome was everything that was wrong with the world. So he devoted his schemes and his plans and his life to pay back. He plots against Rome. He cons them out of, his out of their treasures. He sometimes steals from the wealthy. Occasionally he has the opportunity to embarrass a Roman soldier. He holds up transport units and robs them. He targets the wealthier homes and ransacks them. The more time goes on, the more Yeshua gets confident. And the jobs get bigger and the risks get greater until one day. Yeshua realizes the Romans are upon him. And he realizes this because a battalion of armed centurion soldiers with swords and spears kick down the front door of his home, arrest him and drag him away to be thrown in prison. After some time in prison, which was horrendous, he was tried in Caesar's court. And to his horror, he was called or named or deemed an enemy of the state. He was what the Greek language calls a leste, a leste, a robber. But he was more than just a robber. He had taken something from the Roman Empire that did not belong to him. He was accused of attempting to lessen the reign and the presence of the Roman Empire, and therefore he was sentenced as a traitor, worthy of shame and cruelty and humiliation. And so after being tried, he realized he was headed for crucifixion. He was to be executed on a cross. It was a punishment reserved for enemies of the state and only enemies of the state. Rebels, revolutionaries, those who had stolen something from the state. For some, their crime was murder. For some, it was treason. For the exciting ones, it was piracy. But for Yeshua, it was robbery. If Yeshua were a Roman citizen, it would have been very different. He never would have suffered the fate of crucifixion, regardless of how bad and severe his crimes were if he was a Roman citizen. Crucifixion was never a punishment given to a citizen of Rome as it was considered too cruel and too shameful, both for the person and for the empire that that person belonged to. If Rome did this to their citizens, what would people say about Rome? For a Roman citizen to be crucified, it would be an utter embarrassment to the Roman Empire. 
But Yeshua knew this. He knew that if he continued the way he was going, he would be arrested and he would be tried and he would face crucifixion on a cross, the most excruciating death available. The word excruciating comes from crucifixion. He knew what awaited him. And although he was terrified about the prospect of crucifixion, he knew it was a possibility. And so after months in prison, a brief moment in court, he is then dragged on one fateful Friday to be nailed to a cross. Completely naked for all the world to see what an utter disgrace he was. How taking from Rome would be dealt with. And so now it's over to you for a few moments. Why don't you share with the person next to you what would be going on in his mind as all this is taking place? What's he thinking as this tragedy of his life comes to a conclusion? Just share with the person next to you any thoughts you might have about that. What's he thinking at this time? I'll give you a couple of minutes. Oh, that means you have to move, Megan. It means you've got to move. Oh, I always struggle to stop people talking. What was I thinking? I'd let you go and it'd be like 12 o'clock before we know it, wouldn't it? All right, so Yeshua is hanging on the cross. And to his right is that guy. They'd been led up the hill together from the courthouse to the cross, but he'd not said much. He'd never actually met that guy before. But that guy was all anyone spoke about these days. That guy was, was a healer, Yeshua recalled. He, he was this wise rabbi. He had a following. He even went into neighboring towns and villages where no one went to help, and to heal, and to pray for people. There were legends surrounding that guy. He once fed 15,000 people on the side of a mountain with a couple of fish and a loaf of bread. It couldn't have happened. He caused one guy who, who Yeshua had seen every day who was blind since childhood, to be able to see again. The legs of a crippled man grew back at the instruction of this man. He'd even gone toe-to-toe -to -toe with the Jewish authorities, with the synagogue bosses, with the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the most vicious of religious leaders. Above it all, he'd gone toe-to-toe -to -toe with them, telling them how they should live their lives. He talked about God's kingdom coming through him to those who believed in him. And people dared to say he was the Messiah. His name was Jesus. He comes from this place called Nazareth, and everyone knows no good thing comes out of Nazareth. It doesn't, doesn't make any sense. How can he be here hanging on a cross? What on earth was going on? Surely. Surely Jeshua thought, I can't be strung up alongside the Messiah. I thought you were going to come up and be like, do the Jesus, do the Jesus thing. Yeah. 
<laughs> no, that's all good. Surely Joshua couldn't be strung up on a cross next to the Messiah? The Messiah, who clearly upset some wrong people. And those people were still mad. Yeshua could see the Jewish rulers from the cross. As he looked out on the crowd, the crowd weren't looking at him, which he was relieved about. They were looking at this man, Jesus. All the focus was on this man, and someone yelled out, he saved others, let him save himself, if he is God's Messiah, the Chosen One. People were brutal. Even the Roman soldiers paid him attention. The Roman soldiers never paid any attention to anyone they're executing. They mocked him. They offered him a drink saying, if you are the king of the Jews, then save yourself. But he could. He could save himself. If half the things people said were true about him, he could save himself. He could get down off this cross right now and smite them all. What was it he heard his cousin say? Yeshua's cousin had come to him late one night after hearing a conversation that this man Jesus had with his disciples. And in that conversation, Jesus was said, he must go to Jerusalem and must suffer many things at the hands of the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And then he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. Could this be that? There's a lot of time to think when you're hanging on a cross. But colliding into Yeshua's thoughts that day was the third criminal. He was on the other side of this guy, Jesus. He knew the other criminal about as much as he knew Jesus. But the other, other criminal shrieked. He said, aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself. And save us. No, that wasn't right. He could save himself. But something greater was happening, surely. So Yeshua rebukes him. He dares to say to the criminal on the other side of Jesus, don't you fear God? Since you're under the same sentence, we are punished justly for what we are getting, what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. Yeshua forced out these breaths as he said this, and then he moved his sights to Jesus next to him, to him, the Messiah, and he spoke to him for the first time he'd ever spoken to him. Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingly power. Surely this was the Messiah. Everyone knew that the Messiah was coming, that he would reign with kingly power. He would overthrow Rome. He would overthrow any enemy of God. Jesus was to lead this rebellion like no one had ever seen. And Yeshua, although his days are numbered, he wants to be remembered to that as part of it in just a small way. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingly power. And to Yeshua's absolute shock and delight, he hears the words that change everything. Truly, I tell you, Today you will be with me in paradise. Yeshua is hanging in the death grip of Rome and he finds his salvation. Rome has his body, but God has his soul. Yes, he nods. He can't speak, but yes, 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 a million yeses. 
as he starts to weep hanging on the cross next to Christ. What he thought he was eternally lost to, enslaved by, the victim of, with all hope gone, when he had no power to change anything or to alter anything, he was now free. For Yeshua, the hopelessness of the Roman cross was replaced by the hope of a loving saviour who welcomed him into paradise. Yeshua knew that word when it came from Jesus' lips. It was the word paradisias. It was a picture of utter perfection. When Yeshua had heard others use it on the streets of Jerusalem, it had been in reference to the legendary Persian gardens. These gardens were massive parks. They were incredibly manicured. They were absolutely stunning, beyond glorious to roam around. Only the very wealthy and the very privileged were permitted to gain entry, and even then, at such great cost, they got their nickname, Paradisos, because people felt that if you could get there, that was as close as you could ever get to paradise. An impossible dream that no one should dare hope for. It was a garden paradise eclipsed by only one other place. A different garden, another garden, a garden that Jesus is referring to when he says paradisos. Not just the Persian gardens, but the grand garden of delights that every Jew would have known and understood. A garden of pleasure, a garden of God. It was the garden that the Hebrew language called Eden. God's Delight, Eden means. The Garden of Eden, God's delight, the ultimate paradise when the Messiah would come again to reestablish his order, his reign, and his garden. Truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus was inviting Yeshua to dwell with him forever in God's delight. What an incredible offer. What an incredible promise. And hanging next to Christ, he is overwhelmed by the delight of God. Having received a reward so rich that his sin is utterly extinguished by the gift. He knows that he doesn't deserve it. But his realization of God's love for him means he cannot reject it. He knows he should, but he knows he can't because his soul is crying out, we are finally home in the delight of God. Even in the most excruciating pain a human can bear. You are home. And so my question for you today from this is what cross are you hanging on that you need Jesus to save you from? Because if Jesus could do it to a stranger who is a criminal, who is completely undeserving next to him on a cross, Jesus can do it for you. What story have you believed in that's been a false story? What lie have you been living? 
What stronghold has taken hold of you and you can't seem to escape it? What secret haunts you still that nobody else knows but it haunts you? What mistake did you make that if only you could go back and undo? What relationship have you damaged? What shame do you carry? What pain can you not escape? What bitterness do you harbor? What cross are you hanging from that you need Jesus to save you from? You see, Jesus is whispering to you this morning as he whispered to the man on the cross next to him. Have you heard him? He's saying, come be with me in God's delight. Come be with me in God's delight. He says to you this morning, I am hanging, I hung on the cross of death so you can be saved from yours. So what cross are you hanging on that you need Jesus to save you from? So what we're going to do now is some ministry time. And I've asked a few of our own people to come and offer some prayer ministry for those of you who need it. And so in a moment, we're going to play some music and we're going to worship God. But if you know this morning that you need Jesus, if you just had a sense of like God is doing something in me and I need to understand that or be part of it, if you're in a place that feels like you're nailed to a cross and nothing you can do can get you off it, you need Jesus to save you. I want to encourage you to come forward. And you can come forward and you can stand or you can kneel or sit on the cushions or you can sit on the front row. Whatever you feel you need to do to come forward to respond to Jesus. And our prayers, they're not going to ask you anything. They're not going to ask you what they can pray for or anything. They're simply going to put a hand on your shoulder and they're going to pray as God leads them to pray so that the Holy Spirit might minister to you this morning. And you can spend as long as you need here. And we're going to sing a song and that will kind of bring the conclusion of the service, the formal part of the service about. And when you feel you'd like to, you can stay in this place or you can have some morning tea or if you need to move off to something else, you're more than welcome to. But we're just going to invite God's Spirit to minister to us, to bless us and to, to meet us this morning. So if our worship team would like to come forward, and those who are helping me pray can come forward. And, um, and when you feel ready, if it's you today, just, just wander up. And um, yeah, we can see what God wants to do in your life.